Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. All right. Everybody, a second shift gears. We're going to deal with uh, something a little difficult for most of us, um, a little hard, uh, just because um, it's affected, assuming, almost every one of us. So, um, in hopes of shifting gears, who all has seen the night at the Roxbury? Anybody? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Yeah, and they're doing that, right? <clears throat> That's what most of the men look like when they're out there trying to catch a chick. You know what I mean? That's the way I think of all of you, matter of fact. When I, uh, uh, but, like, that's, uh, that's a twisted... Ver- Women, how many of y'all watched that movie and thought, I hope to find a man just like that, right? Nobody. Nobody. But that's the twisted version of how the world assumes they're going to catch... A lady, right? And so um, we have over the last month, don't Google that either, because I was like trying to show a short clip video that would illustrate that, and they all was bad. So don't, don't do that. But anyways, uh, over the last month of February, February we have uh, been looking at what is love, right? It's Valentine's Day, and all you guys are... Um, you know, focused on loving your significant other, your spouse, or, you know, hoping that uh, somebody in this sanctuary tonight who got a speck of dust in their eye, you assume they're winking at you. They're not. Okay? They do not love you. They lust you. We're going to talk about that. But um, so in the past few weeks, uh, we've been talking about love. And in the Bible, there's uh, four Greek uh, usages of the word love. Um, it's agape, phileo, I think it's storge is how you pronounce it. It's S-T-O-R-G-E-E-R-G-E. And then there's uh, eros. Um, agape is a divine kind of love that God, it, it's how God loves us. It's pure and holy unconditional, sacrificial love. There's literally no, nothing you could do to earn that kind of love. And uh, the storge, or storge, however you pronounce that, that's the familial type of love. That's like, I love my sister, but that's my sister, so it's a specific, you know, or I love my mom or my dad. It's just a, it's a familial, familial type of love. The phileo is like a brotherly love, like a companionship that you have for one another, that you care so much about them that you're willing to speak truth in their life or hold them accountable and do all those things. And then, of course, you have the eros type of love. And the eros type, eros is, um, is the Greek word that we got our English word erotic from so the sensual sexual kind of love and so I uh, I handed these out at the beginning of the month and allowed those who taught this month to pick which ones they wanted nobody picked this one so I, I kind of got stuck with it but but that's okay because 
This is something that most of us, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, but most of us will experience, and we should, right, um, because it is a form of love, right? So, but to give you a little bit of history, Eros uh, was the Greek god. He was a counterpart to Aphrodite, who was the queen of love, or the goddess of love. And um, later on, Eros, the Greek understanding of love, the god of love, the Romans would end up calling Cupid. So that's where we get Cupid from and the idea of Cupid, okay? So that, that kind of gives you an idea of how we uh, got that understanding of um, sensual sexual love and how it stands for Cupid trying to connect people to be uh, intimate with one another, okay? And, um, but before I get to the lie that I believed in relation to this, I want to affirm everything that Nick and Zach has already taught on. So agape is the unconditional, sacrificial, divine type of love that God shows us, right? It's not something that we can show him or anyone else because it's perfect and holy. Now, he shares that with us, and there's times where we can be unconditional and sacrificial for one another, but unfortunately, it would never be in such a pure form that there wouldn't be some type of selfish motive behind it, even if that selfish motive was good, okay? Um, but the phileo, or the brotherly type of love, um, is uh, what allowed me to see that people on the streets didn't love me, because the streets don't love you, right? But, but basically because um, the things that I was doing out there destroyed my life and my children's life. And so um, that phileo type of love was not something that I was interested in. But the eros kind of love was the one that I was most interested in. It was the one that I think is the easiest for all human beings because it's readily accessible. There's no truth involved uh, in regards to um, accountability or uh, sacrificing your own needs for someone else. It's just purely selfish in most cases. So um, what my issue was, um, because I wasn't able to understand the agape love, you know, outside of my mother's love for me, it just wasn't, um, it wasn't something that was natural in my life growing up, and so, and because I would run from the brotherly love where people would want to hold me accountable to be sure I was doing the right thing so that I didn't harm myself or others, I would associate physical intimacy as the most immediate instant gratification of love to embrace. It was just easy for me to feel love from physical touch or physical intimacy, right? Um, I was never taught uh, about sex, okay, or uh, the proper use of it, so I allowed Hollywood and the world and my friends to shape my view on it, and because of that, I became very active at a young age. Now, here's the lie I believed because of, of those things. I believed that love meant that if me and you were in a, me and someone else was in a relationship, a female, 
it would be based on being physical together. So if this female said she loved me, that meant that we should be having sex with one another because that's what love meant to me, right? I didn't understand that, um, th that uh, I should be sacrificial and, and, and all those things in terms of being in a relationship, right? And so I used, to, I used that kind of love to feel loved by others and manipulate others to believe that I love them by doing those things with them, right? And so some of you are probably thinking, and I, so I just want to put this out there because I feel this. Some of you are probably thinking, this, this really don't apply to me, but I promise you it does. Like every Christian should understand this and understand it well because every person is going to be um, damaged by it but also misuse it, right? So uh, if God says, if this is in the Bible and God says it's important to understand his design and purpose for it, then we should have a good understanding of it, right? Okay, so uh, because I would use the, so sometimes that would be the first thing in this relationship that would take place, or at least that was my goal, right? I didn't have any interest in being committed or uh, willing to serve this person in any way or care for them and their physical needs outside of, look, I just... I just want to have sex because for me, that means that we love each other. That was seriously, that's how I considered how serious a relationship would be is if they were willing to be physical with me. Okay, so I would, I would try to work my way towards that um, first and foremost, right? Which is putting the cart before the horse and why so many of us have been hurt by it. And to start with being physically intimate outside of God's design leads to consequences. And it's why we have all the unfortunate realities like adultery, divorce, pornography, prostitution, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, homeless kids uncared for that end up in foster care, and obviously, the worst case scenario, an abortion, right? Like, like seriously think about that for just a second. If, if, everyone, if everyone truly understood what God's design and purpose for sex was, we would relieve the society from all of these consequences that we're dealing with because they all stem from sexual relationships, Right? This will get a little awkward tonight, but not too awkward, I promise. It's going to be PG. But uh, so it, it's, and, and so today it's cool to uh, boast about what, what I've, I've seen this on social media and stuff. Apparently the younger uh, folks are, are keeping body counts. Have y'all heard that? Yeah. I'm not going to say if y'all said that because it would be okay. But keeping a body count means that it, it, that's nothing new, right? The Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. Back in the cool days, we used to say, oh, you got another notch in your belt. That's what Pappy was. But, uh, but or, you know, you, you would just say it in, in different ways. And for some reason, um, it, it's always that the female was a slut, but the guy is a hero. Right? When the truth is, What's good for the goose is good for the gander. So guys, you ain't a hero, you're a whore. 
plain and simple, right? There's nothing, there's nothing that is uh, impressive about how you went and slept with multiple women who, by the way, is somebody's daughter or sister or mother. See, you're a hypocrite because you don't want nobody doing that with your daughter, sister, or mother, but it's okay for you to do it with other women. So you're not a hero, you're a whore. Okay? All right, so uh, for some reason, multiple partners being something that makes you popular, um, and, and it's not a new thing. It's just something that's been going on forever. Ever since I was in school, it was, for whatever reason, it was cool, right? And, and I think the question is, why would we want to brag about something we try to prevent our own kids from doing? You know, it's funny because, uh, I don't know, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but this whole thing with sex, like, we don't believe a lot of the stuff that we claim we believe about it, or maybe we believe before. Because if you thought bragging about being intimate with someone else was something worthy of bragging about, why wouldn't you have your own kids do it? Why wouldn't you tell them to do it, right? No one actually believes it's good to test drive someone before you make the purchase because that's what you do with a car. Not a human being. If you did... That would be how you teach your kids to value their future spouse. Honey, we need to have the uh, birds and the bees talk. Just sit down right here. So what I need you to do is make sure you sleep with multiple people first. Make sure that it's very enjoyable for you. Make sure that you try everything you can with them before you ever consider committing to them. Who in here is going to have that talk with their child? Nobody, because you don't believe it, right? You allow the world and the culture to influence you to say or think those things, right? Because if you did, that would be how you would teach your kids to value their future spouse. But we don't do that because we know that sex is meant to be a very special thing between them and one other person period, right? And in a normal circumstance, if you believe there shouldn't be any restrictions to sex, if you really say, well, I just feel like people are closed-minded and narrow-minded and we should be more open-minded and I don't know if there's much wrong with having multiple partners or doing things and just, you know, blah, 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 then why won't you share your own spouse with someone else? Like, if you really believe that or thought that was true and you end up in a relationship, why wouldn't you just let them do whatever they want to do? Because you know that that's something special between you and them, right? See, the, here's what happens. The enemy wants to rush you into bed so that when you find the right one or you do get married... The enemy then keeps you out of the bed. He wants to rush you into the bed 
where you develop all of these dysfunctional ways of thinking and you feel shame and guilt and it just seems kind of nasty and weird so that when you're with the right one, he keeps you out of the bed because you've already forfeit all of the privileges of waiting for it to be special. Now it's just something else that you do, right? We have to understand that's not love, that's lust. That's just God-given desires that we have that we mess up by allowing other people to abuse something that's meant to be so special, okay? Now, think about this. God-given desires, it's okay to be attracted to the opposite sex. It's okay to desire companionship. It's okay to desire to be physical with someone and, and have those needs and want that. But you got to do it in the right way or else there's spiritual consequences. There's also physical consequences. We've already talked about those just a little bit. But think about this. God-given desires that society and Satan himself wrapped up in a shiny little apple for all of us to eat. If you guys go back to Genesis chapter 3, when, the, when Satan tempts Eve, Eve begins to doubt what God said was true, and she's questioning it, and it literally says that she looked at the tree and then saw that the tree was good for food because the apple seemed delightful. It was pleasing to the eye. And so now what we've done over decades is begin to become so loose with this form of love that's designed by God to be done in one particular way so that it becomes so appealing that we desire it in ways that we shouldn't because it looks so delightful, right? And so what we're going to do is I, I, we're going to look at a lot of scripture um, because as a Christian, uh, this is a foundational universal truth that applies to this form of love. In other words, if you say, I am a Christian, that means that you believe the Bible is your authority and everything in the Bible that's said about sex is absolute truth. Okay? Now, this is important because in, in just the last 10 years, the church is starting to drift away from the Bible being the authority in their life and they're allowing society and culture to start redefining things that God has already spoken on to be true, okay? So that's what's happening. So here's the first truth that I want you to see in, in the sense that if I am following Jesus and I'm professing to be a believer, then, then this applies to my life, right? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, he's like already covered all of this stuff, what God's done for us as uh, his people and how we should um, behave and do certain things and what we should believe and how we should understand the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and all that. And then he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, so he's talking to Christians, talking to Christians, in view of the mercies of God, that God was so merciful to people who, who were rebellious and didn't want anything to do with him, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
So this is one form of worship that you would present your body as a, now. I want to explain something else real quick too that's that's growing tons of popularity. This is this is thousands of years old, but it's called Gnosticism. You guys are probably more familiar with the term agnostic. But essentially the difference between Gnosticism and Christianity is that Gnosticism discounts the value of the body so that if they worship their worship is centered on their feelings and their thoughts. And so that the body submits to the feelings and thoughts instead of the body submitting to truth. Okay? So that's why this is so important because Gnosticism or uh, cultural realities right now that's taking place in our own lives would say whatever your body feels and thinks the body should submit to those things instead of the body submits to what God says and thinks. Okay? Big difference, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Well, how do we worship? Well, we present our bodies to as living sacrifices, pleasing to God. Do not be conformed to this age. Like, we have to stand up in the face of what this age is saying is acceptable because that pleases God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's saying, look, because he's talking to Romans here. He's saying, look, you all used to worship um, Aphrodite and Eros. You all had uh, Zeus, some of the Greek gods, and all of you, you had a bunch of different gods that you used to worship, but now you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're learning what God says is true and right so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Okay? So that's the first truth right there. We have to submit our bodies to what God says is right and true and renew our minds on how our bodies are used in the, in the proper way to worship God, okay? Now, with that being said, and some of you are already tuning me out, I want to say something really important. First thing I want to say is sex is not bad, nor is it a sin. Sex is not bad, nor is it a sin. It's a beautiful thing God has gifted us with. It's a beautiful thing that God has designed us for, the desire for, but unfortunately the church seems to be scared to talk about it these days. Like how many sermons have you heard about sex? How many Sundays in the last six months you've went to church, did you hear anybody talking about sex, right? The church is scared to talk about it because of the way people perceive it and how they think of it and, and honestly how guilty they are of it, right? It's become so taboo among Christians to bring it up or even preach on it due to the fact that mankind, like everything else, has corrupted and perverted it and it leads to this dirty feeling, shameful, and guilt, okay? And um, I would say, I believe sex should be a part of discipleship. Like it should be, 
in uh, regular conversations because God has a design and purpose for sex in the same way he does money, spiritual gifts, and worship. So if God designed sex and has a purpose for it, why do we not talk about it? It's Money's difficult as it is for a preacher to stand up and say, oh, all he wants is your money. You know what they say, right? Or spiritual gifts. Oh, he, he don't even know what he's talking about. The other guy said it, whatever. Or worship. Like, it's, it's easier to talk about some of those things, but for whatever reason, it's difficult to talk, talk about sex. But what I want to express tonight is that it's a biblical truth that the Bible talks a lot about. And that the majority should participate in. I say majority, specifically meaning married people, but also because God calls some people to singleness, okay? But it's, it's a biblical truth that the majority should participate in. Listen to me. This is where some of y'all are going to be like, oh, okay, this is going the right way. With tons of freedom and tons of frequency. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is not a sin. We should have fun with it, and we should do it very frequently. I don't even know if that's right English. I think that's like double emphasizing, but like do it a lot, right? I'm sick of the Ned Flanders portrait of Christianity trying to make us lame and undesirable and convince us it's a bad thing when it's one of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts God has given us. And, it's, and why it's important to know what God says about it. Does everybody know who Ned Flanders is? He's the dorky Christian neighbor from Bart Simpson. And like they all, like he's ob they're obviously making fun of Christians just by using Ned Flanders um, being the neighbor, right? He's the guy... He kind of walks real stiff, and he's just, hey there, Bart. <laughs> right? Like, he just, anyways. It's, it's like everybody, and I, get, I guess there's some truth to that. Like, we might think of, of Christians in that way. I did before I become a Christian, but now that I am a Christian, and I've learned some truths that God has, has revealed to me, I realize that none of us are really Ned Flanders, Right? And shouldn't be perceived as Ned Frame. Now, before we do that, we need to work from some clear understandings about the Bible. Because a true follower of Jesus believes that the Bible is the absolute truth. Okay? Those of you just joining us, we're talking about sex. Glad you're here. Yeah, she added drugs and rock and roll. I'm like, see what I mean? Just all of a sudden, it's bad. No, sex is good. I'm going to review. Sex is good, and it's not a sin. And you, and you need to do it a lot? My wife is like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to get there. Frequently. You, ma'am, no. Okay. All right. A true follower of Jesus believes that the Bible is its authority and its absolute truth. So we got to work from that, right? Listen, I don't just come up with this stuff. I'm reading what God said was true, and I'm sharing it with you. Now, unfortunately, 
Here's what the world does. Well, they're just being haters, right? They're a, Christians are, are a hate group, and uh, they think they're too good for others, and they think they're better than everyone. No, that's, it's the absolute opposite. I'm so messed up, and apart from Christ, I can do nothing good. And so I'm, I'm an imperfect person following a perfect Savior because I'm imperfect, and I make mistakes, right? So, all right. So I want to start with this. Um, you need to understand who God is, that God does not lie and God does not change his mind. Okay? Numbers 23 verse 19. God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. God does not lie and God does not change his mind. So whatever God says about sex is absolute truth. And there will never come a time in human history where he changes his mind from what he said to be true to now because, well, I don't know, it just seems like the, you know these guys down there, they, they've worked out some new arrangements and it, it looks like it's going pretty well, so I'm going to let them do that. No, that's not how it works, okay? Titus 1, verse 2, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie promised before time began God speaks something true and it's true forever okay it works that it works itself out in uh, how we manage our money how we serve others how we uh, are a part of a local church all these things are biblical truths right and then there's Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 32. Be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to turn aside to the right or to the left of what I've said to be true. So again, there'll be no point where God switches things up to better suit a bunch of sinners. It's not how this works, right? I can prove it. Um, I love sharing this. I think it's I think it is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's mind-blowing. I'm just going to say mind-blowing. I think it's mind-blowing because, and I'm going to talk about this a little more at the end. In today's culture, it's as if people are beginning to argue that what God said was true is irrelevant for today. Right? That what he said back then was for those people, but not us. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at Exodus chapter 34, and I may have already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again because it's profound. That's the word I was looking for. Profound. God had called them out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery, and set them on the course to freedom, to the promised land, right? And along the way, he stops them and he says, Hey, Moses, come up to the top of the mountain. I'm going to literally write on stone tablets the rules for you guys to move forward. And as Moses is up there, he writes the Ten Commandments down on the tablets. And as he's doing it, he says, you better get on down there. They've already broken rule number one. Now, the journey, the story of redemption was just getting started. And the unfaithfulness and the inability of humans could not even follow rule number one yet. So he goes down with the Ten Commandments and he gets mad and he's like, you bunch of doofballs. Throws them down and breaks them. This is my opinion. If God was ever going to change his mind and rewrite the rules for mankind, it would have been then. 
He would have said, man, we just got started. They can't even follow through with rule number one. Maybe I'll rewrite it so them doing everything perfectly will make me look good. No. He didn't do that. He wrote down the same ten commandments and sent Moses right back down the hill. Because his word is absolute truth and it stands as right and good forever. See that? That's huge. That's huge. If God was a God who sat up there and was just biting his fingernails and thinking, man, Roger, don't do it. (sighs) Let me rewrite that one because maybe then you'll be able to follow it. He doesn't do that. He can't. Our imperfection, our mistakes, our trials and temptations point to a perfect God. Right? So what he says is right and true. What he says is good for us. We just mess it up. Period. But specifically as a pastor, I'm called to stand on that no matter what people say, think, like, or dislike. And all of these things. And and I've I've dealt with this a little bit here recently. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But... I want to look at four reasons. The four reasons that God, this is, we're not limited to these four reasons. It, just, it is not seven o'clock. Yeah. <sighs> we're going to quickly run through, man, I got a lot, man. We're going to quickly run through this. Four reasons for sex. One, be fruitful and multiply. We're the image bearers of God. So the primary purpose for sex is to reproduce or populate procreate. We get to share in creation with God by the means of sex so that there are other folks in in this world that bring glory to the creator of creation when they're able to be generous, loving, and serving. Right? Like we are sharing some of the attributes of God and people seeing how good and awesome it is because we are the vessels and the instruments of God. Um, love and, and, and just glorifying him, right? Now, I know that because Genesis chapter 2, 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. How do they do that? Sex, right? Two, sex is between a man and a woman only who are married only. Here's where we start rubbing a little bit, Right? Sex is something special between a married couple because it's the one thing that separates marriage from all other relationships. You don't go have sex with somebody else's wife. That's called adultery. Right? I know that because Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. I'll make a female to the male that that works together. And notice it says helper, not helpers. It's singular. Okay? Then in verse 24, it says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Wife, man, woman. And they become one flesh. Okay? So sex is to multiply and be fruitful, and sex is between a man and a woman who are married. Genesis 4, 
The man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. That's important because the ESV says that the man knew his wife. It's a, it's a form of intimacy being used there, an eros form of love, that only you should know things about your wife behind closed doors that no one else knows, right? It doesn't say the man was intimate with multiple women, and knew them very well. It doesn't say that. It says his wife, okay? Three, sex is for our pleasure. Sex is for our pleasure. We should have fun with it and frequently enjoy it. Listen, go read Song of Solomon's in the Bible, the Song of Songs, and you will see the act of sex is meant for our good because that book doesn't mention kids anywhere in it. It's specifically... This intimate relationship, this back and forth dialogue where they're whispering these sweet nothings to one another, and it does get a little graphic, I will warn you, but it's between the committed lover enjoying many things that the church acts like are bad things. It would make Ned Flanders blush, All right? And I'm going to give you a little preview because I know every man in here is like, Song of Songs, let's see. What's in what are you going to do? I see Sam right there. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 13. This is her talking to him. They're talking back and forth. It's a snippet. The one I love is sachet of mirror to me, spending the night between my bosoms. Like, it's talking about this stuff. They say some, like, it's like, dang. I'm going to try it. <laughs> Baby. You're the sachet of mirror to me. <laughs> oh, I'm going to spend the night between. That's okay. It's in the Bible. But it's limited to a man and a woman who are clearly together. They're married. And they have the freedom to, to do whatever they want as frequently as they want. Okay? All right. Four. Sex is a spiritual matter. Because sex is intended to unify two people into one flesh. Sex is a spiritual matter, guys. Two become one. And, and that's why sexual sin is by far one of the greatest sins God speaks against all throughout the Bible because it violates His nature and His design. Right? Meaning... Because he's a covenantal God. He makes a covenant and then he's faithful to it, keeping his promise to those who trust him, his people. So to use sex as a tool for selfish pleasure gives him a bad name because we are the image-bearing examples to the world. And Ephesians says that marriage is holy because it's the greatest symbolic relationship that best illustrates our relationship to God. So here's what I'm trying to say. Marriage is holy because it represents our relationship to God. Well, how's that? Well, Jesus in Ephesians is called the groom and God's people is called the bride. And what's interesting about that is Jesus sacrificially and unconditionally loves us and dies for us, right? So that we can have an intimate personal relationship with God. 
Because we're unclean and we're sinners. And while we're sinners, we cannot have an intimate relationship with God. In the same way that the husband should be sacrificial, loving his wife unconditionally, which causes her to desire to be intimate with him. And that's where two become one. Okay? Does that make sense? A marriage... A wedding is the greatest opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ because it represents our relationship to God, right? So to violate that or, or break that covenant just makes God look really, really bad, right? And I want you to see the, uh, the, the order there. What did I say? Yeah, the, or, the order there is that Christ comes... He humbles himself and he willingly comes to sacrificially die in order that we can have an intimate relationship with God. It goes back to the whole putting the cart before the horse. We want to jump right into bed and then hope that this person becomes sacrificial and unconditional. Well, you done did it the wrong way. God demonstrated it the best way. You'll base love off how willing they are to sacrifice, serve you, and meet all of your needs before you give yourself to them. Right? All right. Listen. For the believer, sexual sin is the one sin that you do against God, yourself, and others, and it leads to the most shame and guilt that you'll ever feel. I know that because 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just going to read through this quickly. Gosh, dang it. Y'all forgive me, right? Everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. That's why you have freedom in the bed. Everything's permissible based on their conviction and their comfortableness, you married folk. But I will not be mastered by anything. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely, absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For Scripture says the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Every other sin, this is my point, Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. So when I gossip about someone, I'm offending and sinning against them, but not myself. But when I'm having sex outside of marriage or any perverted style of sex that God said was right and good, I'm sinning against God, myself, and the other person. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Listen, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Remember the living sacrifice? Presenting your bodies to God? What about marriage? Let's talk about marriage real quick. Because if, if this is done God's way, it's a selfless act that demonstrates serving someone else's needs. So Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 7. Guys, you're going to love me again on this one. Hang with me. This is like a married man's favorite passage. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sex, sexual relationships with a woman. But... Because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. 
A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her, her husband. Sometimes it's a duty, but it's a good one, right? A wife does not have, listen wives, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another. Don't keep yourself from one another, except when you agree for a time to fast or pray or any spiritual reason. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's a spiritual matter. If you withhold yourself from your spouse... They could be tempted by Satan. So while you're trying to teach them a lesson, Satan's about to teach you one. And you better know it. Now, after looking at the truth of God's design and purpose and what he says about it, you may have some common arguments. I don't think that's right. You may have some common arguments. Y'all are hoping it is because then I'd be done, right? Okay. I guess so. So uh, you may... Yeah, so... So after kind of looking at the truth in the Word and then looking around what we live in and what's taking place among us, you, you, you may have um, some common argue, arguments that cross your mind. And before we go there, I want to read one last passage to you. We're almost done, I promise. It, it goes like this. It, it explains what we're, we're dealing with. Therefore, Romans 1, 24, Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their, of their error. So, some of the tougher things I want to I deal with quickly. Some common objections to common sexual sins. Let's just talk about premarital sex, guys, right? What's wrong with me making love to my fiancé, my, my boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, you know, whatever, I, when God knows my intentions are good. God knows that I love them, which we've already argued you don't because you're putting your own, sex, your own personal needs before uh, God's truth, right? Uh, Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Right? That's why. Right there. What about same-sex couples? Right? This is popular now. It's going on. And for some reason, there's this pressure for Christians to start um, giving in on what God has said true about it because they've labeled it as being a hate group. That's what they've done. They're, they're, it's crafty. Sin is crafty. I promise you, right? One of the most common arguments is today, this goes for addiction too, uh, I was born this way. I was born this way. I can't help it. That's exactly why Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born again. Like, I'm not going to argue 
that you uh, that you have same sex attra- um, attractions because I understand that we're all conceived into sin. We're born sinners, and we will have messed up desires. Right? I'm not I'm not arguing that at all. I ain't mad at you. I love you. But what I am saying is that the same way that I love meth more than my own kids, when I become born again, that went away. And I was able to obey God in the way that I should. We love um, individuals who participate in same-sex couples, or if you just want to put a name on it, homosexuality, right? Like the church wants to pick on it a lot of times, and I think, I think that is a bad deal just because our sin's no different than their sin. It just looks different, right? And that's why there's so much pushback from it, right? But their insistence on prefer- perverting God's truth doesn't mean I compromise the truth, Right? I love them. I invite them. They can come to church. They can go out and eat with me. They can come over to my house. They can, I love them. The same way, look, like Matthew's table is, uh, it, okay, watch out. Matthew's table has people here that are like convicted felons and people with addictions and prostitutes and all kinds of stuff, right? But, but, but the world's going to try to act like I treat a homosexual differently, and I don't, never have. So it's just the way that Satan tries to label the church as their perspective on something. When all I've said is this is what God said was true, but I'm going to love you anyway the same way I do the addict or alcoholic, right? Let me put it this way because this is what people say. Well, I have a friend that's in the LGBTQ2 plus R2D2 community, okay? And I need to know if they'd be welcome at your church. That's no different than saying, think about this. That's no different than saying, hey, I have a friend that's a part of the adultery community. Would they be welcome at your church? See, they spin it. And you got to understand what's really taking place. They're trying to say that you are, you are against them because of the way they are, when in fact you're not. You love them and want them to know Jesus. And, and their sin's no different than my sin, Right? So that's not the case. But if you were to say, I have a friend that's in the adultery community, well, first of all, who are you going to hang out with in the adultery community and not like be like, dude, you got to quit cheating on your wife. <laughs> but in this community, it's something special that I'm not supposed to talk about because all of a sudden they've twisted what God said to be true and become a lie, and I'm supposed to go along with it. Well, I can't. I can't. But there will be no judgment, and there will be no exclusion in, in my circle, just truth, Right? Jesus didn't, this is the last argument. Jesus didn't say in the Gospels explicitly anything about these things. Premarital sex, homosexuality, sexual perversion, pornography, any of those things, right? Well, I disagree. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So anything that's said in the Old Testament is Jesus, So that's how you tie that together. And in Matthew chapter 19, he quotes the Old Testament uh, scriptures that I've already shared with you that God made them male and female. There is no he, she's, and them's, and those, and all them other things. God made them male and female, and he said that they would be joined to be, or he would be joined to his wife. So Jesus does address that clearly, okay? So don't buy into that. Now, with all that being said, here's what I know to be true. Equally as true, right? That many of you have been a victim to a lot of the things that we've talked about tonight. Many of you have um, misused this. Uh, You've abused it. 
You've been a victim to sexual abuse or some form or fashion. And uh, so here's the grace tonight because we don't have a testimony. And I hope you hear me say this more than anything else I've said. Because I have a feeling most of us, if like myself, would be guilty in these categories that I've shared with you. Yet sexual sin of any kind is not the one unforgivable sin. There's one unforgivable sin, and that is rejecting the free gift of salvation that God is offering you. You hear me? Condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction comes from God. There's a clear difference. What God has created to be good, Satan counterfeits and makes it bad. Okay? And so sex falls into that category, and I want you to understand that no matter how sexually active you've been in your past, if you've trusted in Christ, Jesus said, it is finished, meaning all past, present, and future sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, right? If you are dwelling on any previous history, that's because you're allowing the enemy to deceive you and to put that name on you so that you will not take the name that God has given you, a child of God. The redemption of Christ can redeem and restore you and you're washed as white as snow, guys. So for review, God created sex, gave us desires for sex and made it a very good thing. And I understand the struggle that many of you have with it, but you got to fight. You got to fight, right? Because it is how you please God in an acceptable way, living the will of God by presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Questions before I pray. I'm sorry I went over. No questions? You can be weird if it needs to be. No? Okay. Anybody think that was helpful at all? Like, we could go weeks with this, you know what I mean? For real. Um, but, like, this is the most prevalent sin in our community today. It's the one that everybody struggles with probably the most. And it's just unfortunate because it is designed with a purpose and for good. So, anyways, uh, let's pray. Father, we give thanks for uh, just this day. We give thanks for uh, the reality that um, we can redeem something that is uh, useful um, and no longer have to reject it. That what, what culture says is true today is uh, opposite of what God has already said was true. So we reject what they say yet we redeem it in our new life and we use it for the right reasons to glorify God. So I pray that you be with everyone here. I pray that anyone here that feels condemnation from their previous way of living their lives realizes that the dead person's gone and the new has come. That they can be redeemed and they no longer have to identify with any of those things or those labels that may have been on them at one time and they can walk in total freedom glorifying you and making you famous. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.